So we, we're not, oh, that's a bit of a, a negative statement, isn't it? Um, in previous weeks, we've done series on different topics. So the, the recent one we did was Doubters to Shouters, which was an encouragement for us to get a bit more expressive, get a little bit louder. Um, we're not going to do that. Okay, we're not going to do a series. Uh, what we're going to do is look at one of the letters in the Bible. And um, this comes out of uh, our partner away day last year, where, where partners said, oh, we want some teaching uh, around uh, Christian living, uh, what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and it also comes out of perhaps a, a frustration within me, which um, struggles with series. Whilst I, 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 they, they're great and I, they're okay, um, sometimes we just have to come back to the Word of God, don't we? We just have to go, let's just, let's just preach what's in Scripture. And uh, I was reading one day uh, through the New Testament and I just come across that line in Timothy that just says, preach the Word. Preach the Word. And so that's what I've asked uh, our speakers to do over the next few weeks, is for me to not give them a, a theme or a topic but for them to explore the scriptures themselves and go, this is, this is what I feel God is saying uh, with, with what the words uh, are in this, in this particular uh, letter. So we're going to look at the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the first letter uh, to the Thessalonians. That's not easy to say if you've got false teeth, is it? Not that I've got false teeth, but even if you haven't got false teeth, it's difficult to say. Um, so we're going to look at that and uh, we're going to take it a chapter a week. Okay. So in 1 Thessalonians, there's five, I believe, five chapters. And uh, we'll then go on to look at the second letter as well. Um, so let's, let's start. And um, I'm going to read the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow, then, then that's great. Um, I'm reading it in the NIV version. But as I read this letter written by the Apostle Paul, I want you to imagine that he's writing to you. He's writing to you personally. So when he addresses it to the, the church in Thessalonica, just almost, this is probably a bit, I'm probably a bit dodgy here, isn't it? Uh, changing scripture. But I want, you to, I want you to think that he's actually writing your name in there. You could even say for the church, uh, open door in God. Or you could write in, you know, Maggie, I'm writing this letter to you. So let's just think about that. You're a brand new Christian, having turned away from your old ways and have begun to live for Jesus despite opposition from the people around you. So I'm going to read that. Paul Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to you we always give thanks to God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, 
with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Wow. I don't know, how, how do those words make you feel? Do they, they make you feel encouraged, built up, strengthened, spurred on? Well, that's kind of the message of the letter. You're doing great. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep doing what you're doing. It, it's, it's becoming known everywhere what kind of people you are, what you've done. I can imagine Paul writing this letter to these new Christians with a beaming smile on his face as he puts pen to paper. You get the sense that he's pleased with their progress and wants them to know that he's filled with joy to hear that they've not been blown off course by the storms of life or bowed down under the heavy weight of persecution. His opening prayer in this letter is him giving thanks to God for them being rooted and steadfast in their love for Jesus and one another. So what's happened up to now for Paul to actually write this letter? We have to understand why he wrote this letter to these people. Well this is part of Paul's second missionary journey to spread the gospel. He's, uh, it's taken him from uh, Jerusalem, from the church there, north up to Antioch in modern day Syria, right through Asia, so if you think of where Turkey is, right through uh, Asia uh, and then into the region of uh, just below the, the, the sort of modern day Eastern Europe, on the edge of Europe and sort of uh, the Greek, uh, or Greece, if you like. It's here that he goes to Philippi and causes a riot. And he ends up in prison. Some of you remember the story of Paul and Silas being beaten in the streets and dragged away and put in prison and their miraculous escape when they were singing and praying during the night. Well, that's, that's where they were in Philippi. And so they leave there and go on to Thessalonica. And we can pick up that story in Acts chapter 17. And we're going to just quickly brief, briefly read uh, this in Acts 17. So if you want to turn there, it says this, in Thessalonica, when they, that's Paul, Silas, uh, and the others, uh, when they had passed through Am Amphilios and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. 
as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women, meaning loads of women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some of the characters from the marketplace, the dodgy ones, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bow and let them go. So you can, you can kind of get a feel of what happened in Thessalonica when Paul turned up and started go to, going to the synagogues to preach the gospel. Some people accepted his message with joy. Others wanted to kill him. And it caused a riot. And so he had to flee quite quickly. So he, I sometimes get the impression uh, on Paul's journeys that he went around planting churches. And, and kind of, he did to a degree, didn't he? But probably not in the, the way that we think that you should plant a church. Because we want to go, well, who's with us? What's the budget? Um, where will we meet? Um, who, who will lead worship? Who, who, who will do the children's work? No, no, he didn't do that. He just went into the, the established synagogue where the Jews were and began to tell them that Jesus was the risen Christ, the Messiah, the expected one, the anointed one. And of course, it just caused uproar or it caused people to believe and to turn to Jesus. That's how we planted churches. We wouldn't do that, would we? Or would we? Amazing. So Paul has to leave Thessalonica in fear that he'd be killed. He then travels on to Berea, which it tells us in Acts chapter 17 also, and then on to Athens, it tells us. And then when he gets to Corinth, he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. He writes it after receiving a report from Timothy, uh, his uh, friend or uh, fellow disciple or junior disciple, uh, what was going on there. So he spent a very short period of time, less than a month in Thessalonica, had to flee, but then wants to know how things are. And so he hears uh, from Timothy. So having spent three weeks in Thessalonica, Paul had to flee, not knowing what would become of these new converts to Christ, who had believed in the resurrected Jesus. And after they heard, uh, and after hearing that they were thriving, he writes to encourage them. So let's just look at what, what the letter contains in that first chapter. I'm going to bring out what I feel God has given me for you today. So I probably won't preach the whole chapter because uh, time is 
moving on, but just, just bring out a few points. So he opens the letter by saying that they always remember them and pray for them. And, uh, and it's these, these words that, that really uh, I fell on this week, uh, where he says, um, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He's chosen you. And it says this, because our gospel uh, came to you, not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. But before he says that, he says this, we uh, remember your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. And, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to ask the question, well, what was their work? What work did they do that was produced by faith? And how does, uh, how does faith produce work? Because we're not told. We're left uh, with the mystery. But I, I'm asking this, my, the question of myself sometimes. Well, is, is the work that I do produced by faith? Is the work that you do produced by faith? And the day-to-day -day stuff that you do, where, where does faith come into that? Where, where is it evident? Because you could probably look to me, or oh, the pastor of the church, or oh, you must be exercising faith all the time. Well, it's no different for me than it is for you. In fact, probably some of you have got to exercise more faith than me in some of the places that you inhabit, some of the places that you work, especially if they're difficult uh, places, especially if there's pressure to conform to a certain standard. Perhaps your faith has to be a bit stronger. Sorry, that's my um, phone going up. It's in the back pocket. Just to remind me to do my back exercises. I've forgotten to turn it off. You know, faith requires constant investment, not knowing what the return will be. And having faith that situations will change uh, by just being faithful. You know, sometimes we can't see what's going on. Sometimes we don't see change and we have to remain faithful to God, faithful to his promises, knowing that he's in charge, knowing that he is going to bring the change, that God is in charge. We just remain faithful to what he's called us to do until he tells us that we need to uh, change course or move in a different direction. So Paul was inspired or wanted to remember their work produced by faith. And then he goes on, your labour prompted by love. And I, I dwelt on that this week thinking, the stuff that I do, do I do it out of obligation? Do I do it out of resentment? Or do I do it out of love? And that's, that's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? That's, what's their motivation behind what we do with the people uh, in our life? Are we doing it from a place of genuine love? Love for God and love for the person 
in front of us. Paul commends them, your labour prompted by love. There was something evident in these people in Thessalonica that they, they, they exuded love that could be seen and, and felt. Well, they, you know, the stuff that we do, is, is it done to get recognition or reward or is it simply because we love the person in front of us? Are we doing it for a badge or a medal? Or are we doing it because it's the right thing to do, to show love? It's challenging, isn't it? Because we're called to love God and to love other people, but we're also called to love our enemies as ourselves. And, you know, we can look at the news and go, how do we love in that situation? You know, if we think of the, the young girl wanted to return from Syria, having spent three years with ISIS, how do we love our enemies? God, how do we love our enemies when it comes to things like that, it comes to situations like that? We were watching the film Fireproof last night, and it's about uh, a married couple whose marriage is falling apart. Uh, because there's self, selfishness involved in the relationship. And uh, the guy reached a point where he had to realise, he had to come to the realisation that his heart wasn't in it. His heart wasn't in it. He wasn't doing things out of love. He was doing it for other selfish reasons. And that's a good test for us, isn't it? Whatever we're doing, what are we labouring for? Is it prompted by love? How can we ensure that what we do is prompted and motivated by love? I believe it's through staying close to Jesus and having a heart like his, wanting to, to have uh, his compassion and his uh, mercy for others. And we have to share the journey in community. It's not something we can do on our own. And then Paul goes on, he says, uh, he talks about their hope, their uh, endurance inspired by hope. Endurance means just keep on going, doesn't it? Keeping on going, keeping on going when it's tough, when it, when it hasn't worked out perhaps the way that you hoped it would work out, when it's probably negative or it's it's tiring or it's stressful or you're weary having to endure keep on going what was it that spurred these people on what helped them to endure uh, what they were going through it was because they had a hope they had a hope in something bigger and better than what they were currently experiencing. What do you have hope in? Why do some people go about in a state of hopelessness? It's because their, their field of view is very narrow. They forget the bigger picture of uh, Christ and his promise of his return, of his promise of eternal life, his promise of blessing, even in the midst of suffering. And we often ask that question, don't we? Surely there's more to life than this. Well, there is. There is more to life than this. 
we can so easily get caught up in the here and now of this world or we can get caught up in the dwelling on the past dwelling on uh, what ifs or uh, if, if, if that hadn't have happened or we can focus on the earthly things like the stuff the material stuff that actually will just perish rust or be stolen but it's so easy to do isn't it because we live in this world that is a materialistic world that that has to have or it has to be shouting about what it has or we forget about what's ahead the hope we have in Jesus so Paul commends them he commends them for their uh, their endurance inspired by hope second thing I want to focus on from Paul's words in this uh, opening address in his letter is what what he says about words power and the Holy Spirit words power and the Holy Spirit Paul gave them words of truth and showed them from their own scriptures from the Torah and from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah he argued with them in the temple in the uh, synagogue proclaiming Jesus God in the flesh Emmanuel had come that he'd revealed himself God been crucified buried and rose again the miracles that he'd performed and the fact that he had revealed himself personally to Paul that Paul had encountered this living Jesus on the road to Damascus he was able to do the impossible and that he was raised to life I wonder what I wonder what Old Testament scriptures Paul had used to convince them that this Jesus was the Messiah I wonder if he turned to Isaiah 53 uh, verse 5 to 11 but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and afflicted he was led like a lamb to the slaughter by oppression and judgment he was taken away and who can speak of his descendants but he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken after suffering after the suffering of his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied or what did he turn to Psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me I am scorned by men and despised by the people all who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart has turned to wax it has melted away within me a band of evil men has encircled me they have pierced my hands and my feet I count all my bones people stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing I wonder if Paul used those scriptures to convince these people that Jesus is the one Jesus is Lord Jesus is the one who cannot be held in the grave so he uses words 
And these people understood what Paul was saying. He spoke clearly to help them get it. But he didn't just speak with words. There was power as well involved. What kind of power was at work among these people? Was it power in, in the sense of Paul's authority? Or was it power in his gentleness, in his kindness, in his love for others? Was it power of, of miracles that, ha- that took place after he preached the word? We're not told, but somehow we know that they embraced what Paul was demonstrating to them. Words, power, Holy Spirit. Now, when you have that combination together, God breaks in and changes people. When people experience the Holy Spirit, the revealer of mysteries, the truth, the counsellor, God's personal presence, the breath of God, the paraclete, the healer, life, the empower, the raiser from the dead, the one who points people to Jesus, something happens in people's hearts. They don't just have brain surgery, they have heart surgery too. It says that his message came with words, power and the Holy Spirit, but also with a deep conviction. Deep conviction. You don't see much of that nowadays, do you? People who are convicted of the the sin, the dirt in their lives and turn to Jesus saying, sorry, I repent. I know that's wrong. Forgive me. They were deeply convicted. They really knew and understand clearly what the gospel was. They knew it was true. They not only believed in Paul's message, but were impact in the very core of their being. Everything changed for them because of what happened inside. Words, power, Holy Spirit, deep conviction. Convinced and convicted that Jesus was real and that they needed to respond to him. It wasn't just some historical figure from a few years ago. There was something serious about this Jesus. Words, power, Holy Spirit, deep conviction. And the third thing I want us to look at in verses 5 to 8 is this fact that Paul calls them uh, that they became imitators and a model. They saw how Paul and his team lived. They witnessed something of his genuine faith and belief. This wasn't a a show. This wasn't a, a, a carnival that had rolled into town to just entertain them. This was life changing. And they could see that these people had had their lives changed by Jesus. It could be seen. It could be heard. It could be tasted. It could be felt. It could be understood. And Paul says they became imitators. They became imitators. In the words of today's generation, they like became like Christ-like, not counterfeit imitations of Jesus, but many Christs. They did what Paul did, who did what Jesus did. John 15, 15, when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus' disciples have become like Jesus 
And Paul was almost saying the same thing to them. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. They didn't have a form of godliness and deny its power. They had godliness and embraced the power of the Holy Spirit, not quenching the Spirit's power, but fanning it into flames that uh, uh, Paul says later in one of his letters. They became imitators of those who shared the good news and their lives with them and like Jesus. They had become and were becoming just like Jesus. Are you becoming just like Jesus? When people look at you, would they say, oh, they're like Jesus, they're like Jesus. I'm not talking beard and sandals and a red sash. I'm talking about your character, your very being. Do you exude Christ wherever you go? Do your words match with your actions? <coughs> it's a challenge to all of us. And all of this while having to cope with severe persecution. And we don't fully understand what that persecution was like, but we get the impression that some people were killed for their faith. They were bullied and harassed. They were mocked by neighbours. They were ostracised. And yet they still had that joy, the joy of knowing Jesus. It says they welcomed the message with, of Christ with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Oh, what joy the Spirit gives, even in the middle of suffering. Not nice going through suffering, is it? Not nice going through pain, through difficult times, through challenges. But sometimes we can come out the other side seeing God in it and go, praise God. Praise God, I went through that. I'm so glad I went through that difficult time because it taught me something. It showed me something. It revealed something about me and it revealed something about God's goodness and his love and his power to overcome. Joy is one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in us. It can be one of the first marks of a truly born again believer having joy in your heart. Have you got joy this morning? Have you got joy? They became imitators of Paul and his people. And then it says you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia. Now, what we need to understand, if you're not good at geography, Macedonia is this like big district where Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea is. So it's that big big part you became a model people in that region said that if you want to know what real Christians look like go to Thessalonica that's where you'll find the real genuine Christians I wonder if people say that about us if you want to see real Christians go to Open Door Church it's a challenge isn't it because we have to go do we have joy do we have the Holy Spirit do we have not only the words but the power of God amongst us? Is there deep conviction? Are we imitators of Christ? Are we a model that people want to see and go, yeah, that's what Jesus looks like. That's what Jesus looks like. 
you want to witness the love and the power of the gospel in a hostile environment, go to Thessalonica. Not today, but back then. Well, go to Thessalonica, you'll have a nice holiday. But back then, it would have been a, a place of, of, of God's power at work amongst people that were right at the sharp end of hardship. You'll be amazed at how they just keep on going despite the suffering, the pain and the injustice. They just keep on going. They just keep on going. What were they modelling? What were they modelling? I believe it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control in, in the midst of pain and suffering you'd think pain and suffering would cause us to become bitter wouldn't you envious anxious no they just kept on getting better and it was ringing ringing out across the region so all could hear all heard about these people how are we doing for time? We're nearly there. People finding faith in Jesus, realigning their lives in pursuit of him, turning away from worshipping a multitude of Roman gods and false idols. They changed. They became different. They stood out. They kept themselves pure holy and blameless they experienced community they endured pain but they didn't lose hope they waited they lived waiting expectantly for Christ's return do we live do we live expecting Jesus to come back Paul was basically saying to these people, your faith has become famous. People know about you. You are becoming the type of model. Sorry, are you becoming the type of model that others want to follow? What are you modelling in your home, with your children, with family and friends, in our community? Are we showing them anything different? And does it look like Jesus? I'd just like you to take a moment to reevaluate where you are right now. So if you just want to close your eyes and just have a moment with God. I'm going to ask you some questions which you can just uh, respond to in prayer, quietly in prayer with God. Are you, are you exercising faith, trusting in God, or are you just bumbling along? Are you motivated by love or by what you can get? Are you prepared to keep on going even when it's tough? Or you're ready to give up.
Are you reading the word and relying on the Holy Spirit? Is there any sign of deep conviction to turn away from evil? Are you an imitation or an imitator of Jesus? Are you modelling Christ everywhere you are? Not just in public, but also in private. Lord, we bring all of these things to you, all of these characteristics, all of these uh, thoughts, and we lay them at your cross. Lord, where we've fallen short, we ask for your forgiveness. Where we're living for ourselves, we pray, Lord, you would break in and change our hearts. Where our words don't match with our actions or vice versa, Lord, we pray that you would convict us. That you would help us to adopt a lifestyle of love. First for you and for our brothers and sisters, but also for those that persecute us, those who speak bad of us, those who cause us difficulties. Help us, Lord, to be motivated by love. Help us to be supported and strengthened by your Spirit. And help us, Lord, to be a model, imitators of you because you're the best one-two model, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you're doing for us right now, and all that you're going to do for us in the future. Lord, we are a people of hope. We are a people of love. We are a people of joy. And we want to pray that each day, Lord, even through the difficulties, even through the challenges, you'd help us to have faith, to trust in you, to press in to your Holy Spirit, and to let our light shine. Help us, Lord, to know your presence is with us wherever we go. And Lord, I pray that we would become uh, a people where uh, the message of Christ and the love of God rings out from us into everywhere we go. May it become known everywhere that we've been with Jesus. In your name. Amen.